Los Angeles, Ben Acker and I are celebrating the release of our new Star Wars young adult novel, Star Wars Join the Resistance, thematically timely, uh, with a big variety show, charity, benefit, fun around, book signing, book release party on March 8th at Largo at the Coronet. It's going to be Star Wars themed, it's going to be Resistance themed, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, and we've got uh, a great lineup shaping up already, and we'll be announcing lots of guests uh, throughout the month. We hope you can join us. The show will benefit Public Counsel, which is the nation's largest not-for-profit law firm specializing in delivering pro bono legal services. They're right here in Los Angeles, and they strive to achieve three goals, protecting the legal rights of disadvantaged children, representing immigrants who have been the victims of torture, persecution, domestic violence, trafficking, and other crimes, and fostering economic justice by providing individuals and institutions in underserved communities with access to quality legal representation. We really believe in this organization, and um, we know a lot of bigger organizations are getting uh, a lot of donations right now, and we thought it would be good to highlight Public Council, which is, while a very big organization, is really focused on Los Angeles um, primarily. So if you are in L.A., please join us for this event. We've got uh, our pal Matt Gorley of the I Was There Too podcast, uh, Doug Benson of I Love Movies. Uh, we've got Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar Binks. So come see him anyway. He's a great guy and a very funny guy. We're going to do some fun stuff with him. Uh, the show, again, March 8th at Largo. Go to largo la Dot com for tickets. Follow at B-N-A-C-K-E-R at Ben Acker on Twitter. Follow me at Ben Blacker on Twitter for updates about the lineup and uh, more fun stuff. And you'll be able to get books at that show too. If you're not coming to the show, get the book on Amazon. You can pre-order it now. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writers Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 500 writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows of interest to you. I'm a writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, and other programs. I have a couple of cool projects out this first quarter of 2017 that I hope you'll check out. One is a Supernatural Western comic book series from Boom Publishing, that I wrote with my writing partner, Ben Acker, and our friend, the TV showrunner, Andrew Miller. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen, and the first issue is available in comic stores and online February 8th. In March comes the first book in a series of young adult novels that Acker and I wrote called Star Wars Join the Resistance. It takes place just before The Force Awakens and is about a bunch of kids who join the fight against the First Order. But mostly they have adventures, fall in love with each other, and get in trouble. I hope you'll check out both of those projects. We're very proud of how they came out. Let me know who you'd like to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, liking the Writers Panel on Facebook, and visiting writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Reading those reviews really provides a pick-me-up. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right, it's the Writers Panel with Ben. Starting now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey guys, Sean Ryan is back. Thank you for being back. My pleasure. Thank you. And Eric Kripke is finally on the podcast. Yeah, no. You done this podcast? No, 
and then you were politically boycotting them. I, I was politically boycotting it. I understand. I, you know, Ben's alt right views really bother me, <laughs> and so I refused. Up to this it point, it was a principled stand, <laughs> but they did come up with the cash. And <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's good to know you can be bought. Oh yeah, I wish I knew years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, this show, Timeless, uh, is an enormous undertaking. <laughs> what is wrong with you two? I don't, don't know. Don't you know? You I thought he was going to do all the work, <laughs> and I think he thought I was going to do I all know, the work. That's and, uh, the thing. We fooled each other. <laughs> What is it? Uh, what has it looked like on a day-to-day basis? You know, we'll get into sort of how it all came together. But how is the work divided up? I mean, look, you guys are both—you've had shows, you've had a, a couple of shows, you've done a bunch of pilots. You know, you didn't have to take on something like this, and you didn't have to necessarily team up with each other. Well, we also both have other projects that we work on too. Yeah, on yeah. top of it, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say like. It isn't so much that there's a um, clear division of labor as much as it is that, you know, I think we're, we're both, we both have the ability to do, be in the room, to the writing, to the editing, and so we'd, like, divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. And it changes up a lot. Like, Sean will go into editing and... I'll be in the room or I'll do a pass on a script while Sean's in the room. And so I, I would say if your question, when your question was why do it together, the answer is there's no way to survive this without doing it together. It's, right. This one is such a massively brutal undertaking that it requires... And we barely survived it with the two of us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Two on-deck showrunners. And I remember walking in, having like a conversation with my wife, because she's like, what are you doing back in network and with something this fucking hard, with that... <laughs> punishing schedule and I was like I got Sean I'm like this is gonna be like I don't want to say part time but (laughs) like come on and it ended up by like I I remember and in the beginning there was a certain casualness to how we were breaking the room and we're like this is going great and then like production starts yeah literally on day two of production we were like all hands on deck all the time (laughs) it just it just like there was that moment we looked at each other we're like oh shit well and also i would say the thing that happened is the episodes started coming in and we really liked them yeah yeah, yeah, (laughs) you know and we're like this is i think if the show had kind of sucked more we'd find ways to (laughs) avoid it (laughs) to kind of not work as hard and and just take shortcuts but you know, I think we were like, "Well, this episode's good, and this episode's good, and we didn't want to have a shitty episode." And uh, mm-hmm. and it, it is amazing how hard you're willing to work when the final product is turning into something that you really like. Yeah, that's that's really great to hear. I yeah. mean, like that's that's why we get into this thing. Yeah, right? is to make something you're proud of when it actually happens. I think it's uh, it's an exciting thing. How do uh, what do you think you each bring to the table? Like, what do you? How do you think the writers would talk about each of you in the room? <laughs> Huge dicks. Um, I don't know. You, you, so you can both have that. that. It's interesting. Um, we're different personalities. We're we are different. Like in the room, I'm always amazed at at, at how quickly Eric is able to sort of suss out. You know, when we're hearing pitches and we have things, you know, how quickly he's able to suss out what's wrong with something um, and um, and sort of guide everyone in the direction that they need to go in. You know, I always 
kind of mull these things over a little bit more. Uh, it always takes me a little bit longer to sort of, you know, think about it. A lot of times I'll sort of move on to the next step, even if um, we haven't 100% figured something out. You know, to my process is to, like, get better each step along the way. And, and I never let the, the sort of search for perfection stop me, I guess I would say. Eric... Like wants to get it perfect in this moment, <laughs> which is not, mean? by the way, super healthy. No, no, but it's it's good. No, it's and it's worked really well in this show, and 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 he's able to direct it towards where it needs to be quicker than uh, than I am in in many ways. He's got he's all right. Yeah, that's right. Um, Go on. Yeah, it's he's. Uh, you know, he's he's someone who um, is able to to find the moments that we need um, really quickly. He's got a he's got a great you know brain for the genre of it all. You know, one of the reasons why I was interested. You know, I'm I'm a restless a restless restless a restless uh, <laughs> kind of writer in that I just never really want to repeat myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm always looking for new challenges, and I like I like to watch a lot of different kind of genres, and I'm always interested to see if I can tackle them. And 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 so this genre was not something I had done before, and and I was really interested to to see how you know how Eric um, approached it. And so you know a lot of times you know he's kind of guiding things from the genre perspective. Um, you know I. Um, you know, I had other things. I mean, listen, there are also areas that we overlap, and we both care a lot about character, obviously. You know, and 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 finding the right emotional arcs and stories to tell uh, in the course uh, of a given episode. And 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 I would just, I, I guess, I would just say that that it's whether it's in the writers' room, whether it's on the page with the scripts, or whether it's in the cuts. If it's something that pleases both Eric and I, usually it's working. Yeah. Sure. Um, uh, well, one, that's very kind of you to say, Sean. And two, he's totally right about all of those of things. No, no, it's very, very nice of him. I, here's what I would say. I would say it's really fun to do this show and work with someone like Sean because you really learn a lot. And, and my honest and genuine takeaway from this is that like Sean's better at the actual job of show running than I am. Sean, I've learned a lot about how to more effectively run a show because I'm very like when he describes me as uh, uh, you know quick in the room that's very complimentary I would use that same energy and say that I'm also an annoyingly yippy poodle in you know in the room and I'm I'm very like impatient you know and so when ideas are getting banded around I'm like yeah yeah but what about this and no 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 let's go here and I'm very like I I I launch into a very fast moving rapid mm-hmm. of story break and it's oftentimes to my own detriment because, you know, some of the other writers in the room are like, okay, great, he's all wound up. Let's just, let's, you know, let's watch him go. And, and, and I think something that Sean is 
remarkably great at is getting the best work out of his team. Better than me, no question. And and he's very good about being in a really great way Socratic and and asking the right question to get someone to dig a little deeper into their story. Um, and because of that is manages so I've seen the value of it I'll probably ne- I'll never run a show there will always be I'll never run a show exactly the same way I used to again there will always be a little bit of Ryan in me now <laughs> moving moving forward because because I see the value now I've of got like, a tip of crypto <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. Oh, no, yeah exactly there's gonna be a little tip of tip of Ryan in me well this to me was the most interesting dynamic when I heard you guys were doing it yeah like I know Sean just from knowing him a little bit and from talking to so many of the writers over the years are such a, a room guy and and people come out of that room feeling like their voice is heard and they've had a hand in the story and Eric having been in a room with you right. and watching the way you do spin out story is yeah. amazing like yeah. you do latch onto these things and can tell us the whole episode and three episodes later right you were an autocrat. Eric. Yeah, I think that's, that's what, what we're, we're getting to say. To. Well, but Supernatural wasn't a room show. Right, right, right. And, no, it's true. And the format of the show lent itself to that. Right. No, we were we were a, we were not a room show, and and so seeing the value of other people's experiences and perspectives, kind of into the milkshake of the show, mm-hmm. um, and by the way. Than the showrunner not having to steward every detail and like and, and just you know a, a more efficient you know use of energy <laughs> is that hard to like go um, to to let go of those details no no I was <laughs> looking <laughs> that didn't mean he He's actually so let go of the details but <laughs> no no I didn't let go of the details it just meant that like you just it's like like everything no because here's what I would say which is like frankly like everything in my life at this point when I was young um, and really trying to make my mark um, the pedal was to the metal and 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 that was that and then I with show running with the rest of my life I'm quickly realizing that like life is a Chinese finger trap and and the more you pull, the tighter it gets, and the more that you release and let go, um, the better and more effective and more creatively vibrant your life gets. And so I would say that lesson has applied to... So it's not so much... No, I don't have... I can still be interested in the details, mm-hmm. but like letting go and letting, seeing the experience of when you let things go, things actually flourish more mm-hmm. than when if you maintain too tight a grip on it. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least to delegate. I mean, that, you know, I, I, we're all products of our experience. And, and so The Shield being the first show that I ran, the first season was really, really hard. And the second season was really, really hard. But ultimately, I got writers in there. Um, and got them to a place where we were all sort of simpatico. And so, you know, I look at, like, season five of The Shield, which a lot of people think may have been the height of the show. I personally do. 
Um, and that was probably the easiest season to make of that show um, because we had, you know, Kurt Sutter and Scott Rosenbaum and Glenn Mazzara and Liz Kraft and Sarah Fain and Chick Egley and Fierro who all just sort of knew what they were doing and I could rely on them more and put things on their plate and it, and it became just a sort of amazing teamwork and it's harder on first year shows um, but you know what I always try to do. I'm 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 planning for success, right? I'm planning for the idea. Well, maybe this show will go four, five, six, seven seasons, and if it does, who in this room in season one is going to be bearing a lot of the responsibility later? And you know, I want to put these people in positions to solve problems, um, and and I have to hope that the sort of combined brain power of everyone in the room is going to come up with better stuff than I would come up with. On my own, certainly there are going to be times where I'm going to, you know, um, say, well, it's going to be this or where Eric's going to say it's going to be that. And that's where being a showrunner comes in, because ultimately they need someone making firm decisions so that you can move forward to the next step. I wanted Uh, to ask about that, too. I mean, coming in, we'll sort of work our way backwards, but coming in once you guys had a staff, how did you start to create a clear target for them? It sounds like you did. If you guys were yeah, I mean, in the room and were happy with the product. Yeah, look, I would say, um, I mean, a few things, which is one is, um, like, the value of this particular um, show is it, it, you know, it lends itself to a format. Like, mm-hmm. it's a, um, in its own way, it's a procedural. And, you know, there's a time period that they're going to go to there's historical characters they're going to interact with and then there's going to be about you know what we would call about an 80-20 split of basically procedural historical procedural versus you know mythology and mystery mm-hmm. um, and so you know I knew having had experience with those types of shows you know Supernatural being another one of those I knew going in I was like okay this one's going to be okay Um, because the amount of mythology we need to come up with, you know, because it's only these chunks per episode, we're not going to fall into this labyrinth trap, you know, which which frankly, or revolution, which frankly was an exhausting show to break because we burned through our entire mythology within the first seven episodes. And then we were like, and then we were like, so what do we do? And, you know, and, and we started tap dancing and it was very, very difficult. So there's a way to break these types of things. And that's what we did here with Sean and I, with the writers together in the room every day, which is you spend the first, I think for this one, it was almost two weeks, but it's usually about a week. Um, talking nothing but character and mythology. Mm -hmm. You know, where do you want them to go? Yeah, yeah like, we still have those things up there. We just spent time talking about what are the different genres and themes right. that episodes could contain. Right. Um, you know, because each episode is sort of different. You know, we we considered the pilot episode with the Hindenburg um, kind of like a disaster movie, right? right? It was our version of a disaster movie. Well, what are other movies you know right. that you could make? And and we ended up doing a lot that are. 
on there. We did, you know, buddy comedy. You know, we did western. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did serial killer. Right. You know, that's real, that's a really um, cool way to design a show and have, have that yeah. kind of fun. Well, and I think Supernatural has that too. Right. Yeah. Like the, the gangster we did. We did war. I mean, it's, right. I literally see yeah. ones up there. So we just spent time just talking about generally what are those things? What are the and then what are the themes that we want to hit right. um, mm-hmm. along the way? And and it's always amazing to be. It's always a lesson that you have to learn over and over and over again. I don't know why you can't just start day one doing this. You just can't. But when you start figuring out the themes you want to hit, when you start figuring out the character arcs that you want to do, it's amazing how quickly the A story comes into focus mm-hmm. <laughs> of what you should be telling that episode. Right. But you always end up trying to do it the reverse way right. and, and screwing yourself up. So right. in, that, in that first week, or those first two weeks, what did you guys know and what what were you sort of surprised to discover in the room? Do you remember anything specific? God, it's been so long ago. So it's like a <laughs> million years ago. So much pain ago, that. Ben. Uh, I don't know. We, uh, you know, Sean and I, because when you're pitching for a series, you deliver the pilot, and then the very next thing they want is a show bible, mm-hmm. and so. We spent, like, some time, you know, we spent probably four days, five days of just banging out. In all our free time of cutting together. Yeah, exactly. We would, like, cut it, give them notes, and then go to Sean's (laughs) office and, you know, cut notes and then go to Sean's office and then start trying to break, like, what we think the season would be. And we came up with, you know, I think we ended up using about half of it Mm -hmm. in the actual show, but we came up with, like, enough ideas of, like, what's this Rittenhouse mythology and what does it mean and... Where do we want to track to, and and so that when the episode, when we had enough to at least say, you know, hey, everyone, read this document, and what do you think, and let's start poking holes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, it gave a direction, right? yeah, you know, so that people didn't come in here aimless. You, you know, as showrunners, you, you, the death is sort of coming in on day one, and everyone's looking around, and you saying, well, what do people think we should do? Right. <laughs> right? You gotta come in and sort of say, here's here's what Eric and I you know, came up with. You know, here's the document. You've read it. Um, these are directions that we feel very strongly about. These are things that we put in that maybe we're not so sure about. You know, and let's let's all start heading together, and let's mm-hmm. see what we discover along the way. So we had we had more stuff than I would say I usually have on shows. Yeah. Uh, when when we started, but but we've discovered a lot along the way. Yeah, I would say like the. I mean, what I and it's a it's about, and I probably dragged Sean into sort of like the genre process of that because to me it's like what's really valuable about those that week or that time is you can really in a very intelligent way load up what you need the mythology of the first five episodes to be mm-hmm. and and there's so much pressure from studio and network and everyone on the, those first five that you know what you really want to demonstrate that you know what you're doing or at least that you appear to know sure. what you're doing. And so a lot of that work in the first two weeks really boiled down to, all right, in episode one, this is going to happen, and then it's going to turn into this in episode two, and then it's going to become this in episode three, and and then we'll have another meeting in another two months, and we'll figure out the rest of it. But just to really get us off on the right foot of, like, here are the eras, we really understand what the show is and where the characters go. Well, for, and then, for instance, like, we talked a lot about Rufus's arc 
uh, as sort of a double agent where he's spying and recording, right. um, you know, Lucy and Wyatt on these trips, you know, for Rittenhouse at the behest of Connor Mason, you know, and, and you know, so that's an example of an arc of where we where we started, you know, he's going to be tortured of it, he's going to refuse, but then get pulled back in, his family's going to get threatened, and it was all building towards this Watergate episode. You know, Watergate's about, you know, secrets being uncovered, and, and so that felt us like, let's build to that episode where it all now gets blown out of the open, and now... Wyatt, Lucy, and Rufus all know that right. he was sort of doing this, and then and then we don't know what direction that will take, yeah. but it's figuring out these mini four or five episode sort of things, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of that. And then we did similar things with Lucy personally, right. and you know, with the fiance she didn't know and her mother and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I'd say as the season has evolved, I would say the thing I'm most proud of and happy with is as the episodes go, and surprised me just because it wasn't in the original. Mm-hmm. I mean, we hoped it would get there, but we weren't sure how entirely to get there, which is like, you know, you really want these things. Everyone says they want things to be character-driven, but it's a bullshit buzzword that people say. But, like, I, I, I think we've managed within the confines of our procedurals as the episodes have progressed, especially this last bunch, to really have done that mm-hmm. because in the beginning it's hard just because you don't know who your characters Absolutely. are. And as for as much as we, again, pretend like we knew what we were doing, we're still figuring out right. who they are and how they feel and what do the actors enjoy playing and what don't they. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all... But once you start to really get a handle on it, I would say this, the last run, the show got... The, we went in the right direction. Mm-hmm. To me, like, the show started g- good... And then just got better and better because they became more and more about what they should be about, which is how do we make these time travel trips illuminate and torture our characters and whatever's really going on within them. So, for instance, we have one coming up on, you know, on Monday, and it's a, you know, and it's just an episode about Charles Lindbergh, but what it's really about is about, like, is Lucy going to follow her sort of dark family destiny mm-hmm. in the way that Charles Lindbergh followed a fairly dark family destiny? And the one going back to the 80s about, you know, why it's wife and can fate truly be changed or is it immutable and how does that react to the own character's pain? Right. So the more that we're deep diving into our character's angst and, and nobility and conflict... Mm-hmm the better the show is getting. And I think we've finally... I mean, we've been gunning for it all along, but I think we've really hit our rhythm in terms of making sure that the episodes are about that first and foremost mm-hmm. rather than about particularly the historical. Well, as you say, it's hard to get there from day Zero, one. You have right. to learn these, these right. characters of this world, and ultimately you're doing what I think good genre TV wants to do, which right. is... The genre functions as metaphor, right? Right. It's it's metaphor for these characters. It's thematically, and it's secondary, and it's yeah. and it's like any good sci-fi show isn't about the sci-fi, Absolutely. and the ones that are suck. <laughs> um, well, they become very technical. And yeah, like they're they're just not for most people. Yeah, exactly. Um, let me ask you guys. So so much of that of the sort of discovery process sounds really fun to me. What were the challenges? What were the hard parts of this? 
Well, first of all, the most fun part is that you're not in production. <laughs> right. So you sit in a room and you kind of shoot ideas around, and you know that like they're going to be filming in six weeks, but that's yeah. forever, forever away. And forever. <laughs> and like and like six o'clock rolls around, and you're like, oh, I think we've thought a lot today. I've earned my dessert, and we'll see you all at 10 a.m. It's terrific. So, yeah, so the best part is that you just don't have to worry about the daily stuff like that. The the hardest part, um, you've learned a lot during the pilot, but you haven't really learned everything there is to learn about your actors and the characters, and you haven't learned, you know, I mean, you know... For instance, I'll give you an example. You know, Claudia, who plays Gia, didn't really have a lot to do in the in the pilot, right? But you know, but but so how big an arc can you really sort of prepare for her, right? I would say we started slow with Gia, and then the actress showed us that she was really capable of anything mm-hmm. that we were able to sort of throw at her, and now she's got like this huge arc at the end of the season that's that's happening um, right now. Um, so you're you're dealing with a lot of unknowns, and you're kind of, um, and and also I would say the biggest challenge for us, as it turned out, <laughs> the stories that we were making the first three four episodes were just too big for our budget. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know the the Alamo and oh, okay. and so the stuff you actually did. No, oh, yeah. we did it. It was just more expensive than sure. everyone would have liked it, and oh, and yeah. we had to course correct. Yeah. Um, after that, and, and I imagine if you went very microscopically <laughs> through the episodes, you would sort of see ways that money was being spent in the first four or five episodes that wasn't yeah. getting spent sure. you know, after that. But that's an interesting but, thing. But, but you don't know. You don't know what the production can handle. Yeah. You don't know... You know, you don't know that when you say there's a big party scene with 200 Nazis, you know, in Castle Varlar and all this stuff, you don't know that they're going to have to ship all those costumes from L.A. um, at these exorbitant prices and... And and everything. So well, so you, so so you're just yeah. you're just pursuing it strictly from a. Wouldn't it be great if we did this? And you don't know what the show can handle. Yeah. And and once you start figuring out what the show can handle, then you're better able to navigate the production issues. What was, well, it sounds like by the time you got through those first fives, like. Then you kind of people are watching for the characters, hopefully anyway. Well, that's the sales job that you. I mean, that's the pitch to the studio network is you want to spend more money at the beginning to give people the spectacle to long enough for them to give a shit about Lucy and Wyatt, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add is like that implies that it got easier. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I would say um, by. A mile. Um, this is the hardest show logistically I've ever produced. Um, not written, um, but produced. Yes. And and I'm speaking. And Sean's got you know. Sean did the unit and last resort and submarines in Hawaii. Supernatural yeah. under my run famously had no standing sets. Revolution right. was an entire production design world. Yeah. And um, this one. Kicks their ass up and down the street in what? terms of challenge. It's 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 because it's. I mean, it's it's like a no brainer, obviously, when you look at it. But it's like it's the different historical periods every week. And but they have when to look amazing. 
Yeah, and that, you know... Yeah, Sean, Sean otherwise, I, otherwise, people are going to look at and say, well, this is bullshit. Yeah, we have incredibly high standards, sure. and, you know, and I think where Sean and I are really simpatico is we're really... We really believe that there's no excuse in this particular medium. Mm-hmm. And and you're not allowed to say, well, b- well, but it's television. And you say, well, fuck you. It's got to be... It's not the 1970s anymore. It's right. 2017, it's gotta be, and it's got to be right. and, as good as anything people and, can see in the And that years. is due to guys like J.J. and Sean. And, I mean, they created an entire cinematic look that sure. now we have to hit. And, and, and so we have to do not... We have to do actually the reality of what that historical period looks like. And so the amount of time, effort, and cost that goes into, and research, that goes into just mounting these every single week um, is truly amazing. And things that, Sean referenced it, but like things that never in your wildest dreams would you think this is the thing that's going to fuck me today <laughs> is the thing like you write us you write just a street scene sure. and you're like you know it's a walk and talk down the street <laughs> and then you get a call and you're like we're 80,000 over and you're like how are we 80,000 over and you're like well you put 200 people on the street but every one of these people instead of the 100 bucks that is extra- show, show up Right. Wearing your own right. clothes. Like, they're like, well, an extra costs a hundred bucks a head, but the wardrobe we have to put them in is four hundred bucks a head. And you just it didn't occur to you, and you're like, shit. <laughs> and 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 multiply that times ten every single day. And and that's and then you finally figured it out. And I and you know the value is it's like I now know the pitfalls of making a Civil War era episode. <laughs> And or series, and now we're never going to make one again. Exactly. Right. And then we, we go, had like three big party scenes in our first five right. episodes. I don't think we've had any since. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then like we figured out, okay, all the pitfalls of like when you're making a World War II story, and mm-hmm. then we're never doing, you know. And so it's it's it it was astounding, and it I don't think it it still hasn't ended. Like <laughs> we, we still. To literally as late as this morning, and like, like slamming emails, trying to figure out how we're finally going to get the 1950s episode in Washington shot because we're slowed down because of the extras and the car, the cars, the fucking cars, the cars never work. work. They never work. (laughs) Ever work. And so every fucking day. They bring three hoping one will work and all three don't work. Every day we get a report being like, well, we lost an hour on this one because the fucking car wouldn't work. And, and, you know, and then time translates to you don't get your shit shot, which right. translates to when are you going to get it shot. And so I, I, I would say, you know, I, it's so much fun to write. Um, and it's such a fascinating show to research. And it's just it's a son of a bitch to produce. Sure. And then the final project. Is but, then, but then you sit in the editing room. Right. And you're like, it's beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it's beautiful and cinematic like a great another great example of like happy accidents which is like we're doing our western right and it's jesse james and okay it's our western and And the guy who inspired the lone ranger bass reeves right 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 where did it supposed to take place missouri was it yeah okay so missouri so we're on like day two the entire show is eight days out Mm -hmm. right and of that episode because it's I mean there might be one day in a cabin but it's, it's there, there was a little stuff in Mason yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but that stuff no, was yeah. all way exterior for yeah. that story 
So they're shooting, and they shoot like a day or two, and then Vancouver gets hit with like this freak snowstorm. Like biggest in years. And dumps. Like Vancouver, it doesn't, it rains there. It's supposed to be Seattle. But this year, dumped. And so now there's snow on the ground everywhere. Nothing matches. And we're two days into our Western. And so, you know, so you spend a day, you know, pulling my non-existent hair out, my pretend (laughs) hair out about this. And, you know, and we're talking about what to do. And, well, we just got to keep shooting. And then you get in the editing room and really... It's the most stunningly beautiful. <laughs> it's magical, like Pale Rider, Hateful Eight. Beautiful <laughs> vistas covered in snow that look like you spent. We're making the fucking Revenant. And, and, and all we had to ultimately do is CG snow into two scenes that were shot without snow. That's tremendous. And so it, it's like, it, 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 it's true. I would say I take a lot of. Um, a lot of what keeps me going is walking out of the editing room yeah. and being like, "That's another good one," because um, it's because they're they're brutal getting there. And I will say, you know, you are the guys to make this show. Like neither of you has ever shied away from making an ambitious show. Mm. Uh, did you come into this knowing how ambitious it was? I would say seventy-five percent knew how ambitious it was, and then um, you know, then the other twenty-five percent really kicked my ass. (laughs) Right? Um, right. Yeah, but I've always been um, a glutton for punishment. Whether it was the Shield, where we were filming sixty-page scripts in seven days, um, out in the streets, with a lot of it out in the streets, to you know, Last Resort was you know was very difficult. Um, The unit. It was probably the closest I ever did in the show, and that they, you know those guys were doing a mission in different parts of the world each week. So one week you'd be in casinos in Macau, and the next weeks you'd be in the hillsides of Afghanistan, and then you'd be in Syria. You know, so so I had a little experience um, doing that, but um, I I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. How how did it all get rolling? How did you two get together? How did this become the project? Um, I cold called him. Um, I had uh, a new deal at Sony after, um, you know, many happy years at Warner Brothers. And, um, and you know, Sony was sort of asking for, you know, come up with like a network idea. And that was kind of the assignment. And so um, I had, I was kicking it around with um, John Fox, who's a producer and he worked with John Davis. And, um and we were just kind of, and I had wanted to do a time travel story. You know, everybody says don't do that on TV, right? Right. Well, for the reasons that we've painfully learned. Um, um, uh, I've got a couple gallons of blood that um, I can show to people to demonstrate the truth of that statement. But, but anyway, but 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 I felt like, I mean, I was coming off of Revolution, and Revolution was a creatively. I mean, I'm proud of it, but a creatively painful experience for me because serialized genre storytelling is, especially on a network where you're doing 22 a year, is just really, really fucking hard. And so I was really interested in the time travel idea because I was like, that's a format that you could have it be a procedural, know what you're doing in the writer's room, but still have it be unique enough that it breaks out from the clutter. Um, and so I was—I really believed in the idea of a story engine of a different t- 
time period, more a historical adventure than mm-hmm. a time travel show. I yeah. mean, you look at 12 Monkeys, which is brilliant, and you're like, that's a time travel show. That's a good and, point. And, and we're sort of like, to me, it was like uh, a show like Voyagers mm-hmm. um, or Quantum Leap, yeah. or like a show that you don't look at Quantum Leap. It's not really a time travel right. show. It's a period, you know, adventure. Yeah. So that was about the extent of just the desire of it. But I, but my feeling was, I was like, if, but if I'm going into network and if I'm going into network with something this ambitious, there's no way I can be left holding the bag on this thing. And I need a partner. What sucker can I find? Yeah, what sucker can I find? <laughs> cool answer there. And, and John Fox and I were like, there's a list. You know, Sony can provide a list of the other producers that are... That they have deals under deals. under deals, and we said, "Well, let's go to the best one." And we just called call Sean, nice. and and like shockingly, Sean took the call, which we were we were sure he was going to be like, "What? Fuck you!" And then we'd start moving down the list. But um, he took the call, and we set a meeting, and I came in and pitched him the thumbnail that I pretty much just pitched you, and. And and then he was open to it. So we spent, like, I think about a week, three or four days. Yeah, what I said was, because I, I was in the middle of producing Mad Dogs, which had its own issues, you know, filming in the jungles of Puerto Rico. <laughs> once, <laughs> again, right. once again, you just, yeah, 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 I, right. I just can't go easy. Make a, right? do, make a fucking doctor <laughs> show, man. What's your problem? You know, and... Um, and and, you know, Sony's always looking for that big sort of, you know, broadcast hit. And I'd been so kind of buried in uh, in Mad Dog stuff, I was a little bit behind in terms of breaking, you know, trying to break my own sort of network thing. And here was this hugely accomplished guy who certainly didn't need me, but who was coming in, who already was, you know, a little bit down the road in terms of breaking network thing. It was unlike anything I'd ever done, which is intoxicating to me. Um, and so all I said was, you know, I, but I do worry about getting into business and, and, and anchoring myself to the right people in, in my life. Um, you know, I, I, I like, you know, I like to like the people I'm, I'm working with. And so, you know, so I, I think I posed it as a creative thing, but really it was. So, see if I'm not a huge dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. I was like, well, why don't we spend a few days in the writer's room and see if there's an idea here and see if we like working with each other? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, doing that. And, and, and it was this room that we're seeing here right now that, yeah, we, uh-huh. that we, you know, sat in and, and, and I started really liking the idea. I started really liking the character. And I started really liking Eric. Yeah, yeah, and so that was like, okay, yeah, let's 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 do this. That's great. Yeah. So what what did you come in with other than this sort of period adventure show? Did you have characters? Did you have a concept? I had like I I think I had archetypes. Um, I think I had um, the the thing I had spent a lot of time kicking around with John Fox. Um, was the idea of like so how do you do it every week mm-hmm. and and I think what we came in with was okay there's a villain and he's moving through time fucking shit up and then there's like a scruffy group of heroes uh, three who have to who have to chase him in the shittier time machine <laughs> and that that was about the extent of it I mean we had a couple of character notions but nothing we were too locked into but it was more like because time one of the reasons time travel shows are hard is because your heroes going back in time and messing with time is a terrible thing um, a, a destructive 
thing. And so you can't just have a show about adventurers traveling through time because they're monsters. They're, you know, they're, they, anything they move is incredibly destructive right. to the reality of your viewer. And so that's where you end up with, like, well, you need them to be a corrective force. Mm-hmm. Um, like, even in Quantum Leap, they had, I mean, they don't talk much about it, but, but it's, it's God yeah. sent him, like, you know, this is, even though this is history, right. you've got permission from God to fix it. Yeah. Um, and so he got to be a corrective force. Yeah, and so we true. needed this, I, which is a wild idea for a <laughs> network show. But, um, uh, but so we needed, we needed an antagonist as a story engine. So ultimately where we decided was it was going to be this chase through time. And then that was about the extent of what we yeah, brought makes, to Sean. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah. That's a solid foundation. So I'm curious to hear about how... Those early conversations when how you started layering things on top and and you know I can imagine that was those were long days but they must have been a lot of fun super fun um, I don't know I mean look the the thing that I thought was most um, one of the great pleasures of this entire process this isn't entirely an answer to your question but it's part of it partly is um, how much Sean and I are on the same page you know like I think. You know, anyone's reasonable worry going into this is, you know, Sean's used to getting his way, I'm used to getting my way, what's going to happen, are we going to get along, is it going to be a wrestling match for control, what direction, blah, blah, blah. And and people would ask us, "How are you two? Because you know, just waiting for like waiting for the <laughs> shitty story of the uh, well, Eric's in his office and he won't like just waiting for all that shit. Breaking news on deadline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sean Ryan out. <laughs> right. And and I think we and but I would say that it's remarkable how much we're on the same page. It's remarkable how much. We have the same note on a story or a cut. Um, well, that's one of the fun things we do is like is like Eric will sort of email his notes on a cut, and I purposely won't read them, and then I'll do my own notes right. on the cut, and, email, and then I'll see like how in sync were we. And yeah. It's kind of amazing. It is kind of amazing. Are. And probably the biggest compliment I can give is that so many moments in the show. If you went back right now to episode four, episode five, and pointed to something. And you said, this was, e- I know for a fact this was either your idea or Eric's idea. I, I, most times I wouldn't really remember. No, right. Do you know what I mean? Which that. was his, which was, you know, it was all sort of, a sort of reached upon shared agreement. Yeah. So I think, you know, so, you know, back to your question, though, it was, it, I think it was fun. And I think Sean, I agree with Sean that not only did it feel creatively right, it felt right personality wise because we were bouncing off each other in the right way. And I mean, you know, I think it was probably about like, it, you know, it was, those early conversations were just probably about just the deepening mm-hmm. of the characters. Like I know, for instance, um, just because it's one thing that occurs to me, um, or I, one of the things I remember is, you know, Sean very early on had a very strong instinct that Lucy's sister needed to be gone by the end of the pilot, and and because we poke at everything, we were you know we were like, well, should it be Wyatt? 
who who has a wife and then his wife's gone and we just you just go around the horn and you start trying and and to Sean's credit he was very much like he's like I'm telling you he's like it's 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 Lucy and it's her sister and and that's where we go and 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 so it 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 was a it was a value it was, I mean it's all value added but to me it was like what I really liked about that what what I remember of that moment was like oh he's looking at the characters and he's looking hard at how do we really twist the knife on these characters and that was for me one of the first moments uh, very early on which then got repeated over and over again where I was just consistently impressed with Sean's you know insight into deep diving into um, uh, how to twist these characters and how to reveal uh, uh, depths of them that's great. I mean, it sounds like having that shared sensibility at the core yeah. allows you both to just bring all of the ideas to the table. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, it, it also helps. We've we've each had kind of a signature show in our career that, mm-hmm. that we, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, got kind of singular credit for. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and when you can sort of say, okay, well, that's not so important to me anymore. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like it's not worth the 20 extra hours a right. week that I had to put in right. to sort of have my auteurish singular, right. singular stamp on things. And that, um, you know, and I would say that sometimes, you know, my instincts sort of steer a little bit more subversive. And I think sometimes Eric's instincts steer a little bit more populist mm. in terms of sort of Pushy, you know, this latest episode, I remember, and this was an argument I let Eric win because I think he felt more passionate about it than I did. Like, at script level, I was like, so many fucking 80s TV references. And this episode, we got the Nancy <laughs> Reagan and Manimal. And I, I yeah. think I tried to kill the Manimal thing yeah. at one point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too many. You yeah. know, and, and in retrospect, watching the episode, Eric was exactly right. Like, it was a cornucopia of sort of oh, 80s yeah. thing. It was so important to him. And, and, and so it's, you know, to, to be able to open yourself up to the idea that I don't always have the right answer. Mm-hmm. Right? And... And and to give yourself over to, you know, so all any quote unquote disputes Eric and I have always had has really been settled by the simple rule of who's more passionate That's about right. it. Yeah. That's you it. know, and and to have that trust of okay, this isn't where I, Sean Ryan, sole showrunner, would go and would do it, but but Eric's pumped about it, so let's do it. Right. And let's see where it goes. And and I love that episode and, right, and right. would have missed Manimal. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's a phrase that we're always emailing each other all the time throughout the course of the show, which is like, well, you love it more than I hate it, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's been something that we play over and over again. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did you guys, let me just pick up a couple of things that, that I had meant to ask. How did you guys uh, put the room together? How big was the room? Uh, what was the makeup? Were they people new to you? Or were they people you had worked with before? There, we ended up hiring eight writers. From um, the Well, it was an initial order of 13. It ended up being a total of 16. So 15, not including the pilot. Sure. Um, but, you know, but you have to prepare as mm-hmm. if you might, might go for a 22. Yeah. You don't want to get caught. Yeah. 
with a pickup and you don't have the manpower oh, to, to do it. And also, That's a good size. also I'm a big believer in in having the writers produce their own episodes, prep, produce, be on set. And so so at any given time, you might have one writer, you know, and we're filming in Vancouver, so you might have one writer on set in Vancouver. You may have another writer, not might, you will have another writer prepping their episode up in Vancouver. You're, at that moment, you're going to have one or two writers that are off writing their scripts. Wow, so so anything less than like seven or eight writers, you, you don't have enough people to kind of yeah. populate yeah. the room. Um, I have a woman who works with me, Marty Hockman, who you know, did a lot of vetting um, for writers, followed us a lot of scripts. Um, you know, there, there were, I think there ended up being two writers that I knew and had worked with, and I think two that Eric knew and had worked with, and then four that we found, yeah. You know, found or and, hadn't worked with before, and yeah. discovered. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, I mean, you have to, I mean, sometimes I can be a little myopic, like myopic, like I always say in the beginning of every staffing season, like if I could fill a staff with only people I've worked with before, I would, just because like the known quantities when you're in that sure. scramble. Um, but the reality is, is there are coming out of this season, there are new writers that I'll call and see if they're available every time. Yeah. And That's I wouldn't great. have found them otherwise. And so you sort of have to, um, you have to have a balance. Um, you have to find new people and as do you, well. Do you yeah. recall when, when looking at scripts once they made it to your desk, things that stood out to you? Was there anything? You were- yeah, like I really liked. Um, I mean, I mean, Jim Barnes was one of the the writers that uh, came from Revolution that Eric had worked with, and and I really, uh, and that was a period piece mm-hmm. Western thing right. that, that yeah. he had written. Where I felt like this isn't exactly an episode of Thomas, but I thought, oh, this is you know right in line. I remember Erica Mittman uh, had written a really, really interesting piece about a high school. It was, was an original script. She'd written a piece about a high school that the year before had suffered a school shooting. And it focused on this one kid who had been friends with... The shooter, and a lot of people at the school thought that maybe he had known ahead of time that this was going on, and and he'd lost his relationship because his girlfriend's sister had been killed in the attack, and it was just a really interesting look at a community. To me, that script wasn't necessarily on point for what Timeless was doing, but I was just so impressed um, you know, with with the you know original story um, sure. that it told, yeah, I, yeah, and I would say like I mean, any advice for any writers who are trying to staff or put a sample together, like to me, it's like you know, I mean, I like originals. You actually kind of like specs sometimes. Yeah, I'm one but, of the few people in town that's sad yeah. that specs have <laughs> yeah, dried up. Yeah, you know, when I was breaking the business, you only wrote specs. specs right. And it's a good indicator of, the, of doing the job. Yeah, yeah. but but, but, I, but I really think the, the main thing, especially for somebody like me who has a lot of, you know, does a lot of genre shows and, and therefore reads, you know, they submit a lot of genre stuff and, you know, a lot of times the direction I'll give to agents and, like, I actively look to not hire genre people. Sure. Um, you know how to do that. Right. Or or you hire... Because to me, like, you know, and it's funny, I was as we've been thinking, I've been thinking about, you know, one thing that Sean and I really have in common is, you know, it's different genres, but we're both, you know, genre writers 
who both really believe that character comes first, and 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 I and I think that's a real common thread of of our sensibility. And so, to me, the samples that really I don't care if it's a, you know if it's an 18th century English you know manner or whatever. It's like are the is are the character do the characters have depth and is the dialogue sharp and and if that if that's true then that's something i generally move to the short pile sure. um, but a lot of people try to like overplot mm-hmm. or over high concept and i don't really give a shit um, because i don't need that i you know it's you know you can come up with a lot of Story. I mean, it's something we've said in the room all the time. It's just like, guys, like 30 plots would work here. We could sit around banging out plots all day, and they'd all be good. Right. So, but are they servicing the character, or are they servicing the thematic? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think the team we put together was is a uniquely character-focused room, I think, to the benefit of the show. That's great. Good to hear. Um, all right. So you did uh, this season. You guys are almost to the end. Um, when does the finale on, do you know? February 20th. Okay, so this will be out a week or two before that. People should watch that. They should. They catch should. Up on the show. Yeah, watch. Binge, <laughs> yeah, binge in time to catch the finale live. Um, is there talk about another season? Have you heard anything yet? It's too early. Okay. We don't know. I mean, we hope so. Listen, I, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of positive things. Um, yeah, I, I just saw a thing yesterday. We had, like, the second highest percentage sort of DVR plus seven bump, you know, right. of all the shows. I think it's doing well, very well foreign. I think one of the things that, that we've learned, and I, I don't think anyone at NBC would dispute it, is that what what everyone assumed was an amazing time slot after The Voice, where they've launched successful shows in the past, um, hasn't necessarily been the best place for us mm-hmm. because we set out to make, you know, we said, you know, if you could turn a Spielberg movie from the 80s into a TV show in 2016, that's what we think Timeless would be. And I I have had more people in my life that don't work in the business, you know, doctors, sort of parents of friends of my kids and everything, who have talked to me about this show. And they watch it with their kids. Mm-hmm. Right, and they watch it with families, and you know, I ultimately think this is an eight o'clock or a nine o'clock show. Mm-hmm. So, so the ratings at ten o'clock on Mondays aren't always as high as they want to be, but but so many people seem to be catching up with it on DVR and on NBC.com and on Hulu and, and everything. Um, I know that the creative people at NBC love the show. I know that the scheduling people at NBC love the show. I know Bob Greenblatt and Jen Salky really love and admire the show. And we get get emails from Bob and Jen going, oh, my God, I can't believe what you do each week. So there's a lot of positives, but we also know in this business that nothing's guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. And I'm sure they're going to want to see the data on the last few episodes. And so as we sit here right now, the best thing people say? could do, yeah, who yeah. want to watch, who want more timeless, is, is to do a home invasion into a Nielsen home right, exactly. and make them turn out. Because <laughs> exactly. then watching, if Nielsen doesn't count, it doesn't yeah, help. Right. You have to find a Nielsen right. home. You have to home invade. Right, right. You have to turn on the show. Right. Because the sad, here's the sad truth, which is what we need is we need 50 Nielsen families. <laughs> 
to watch the show, and then we're live. the number one show live, and then we're the number one show on television. <laughs> so stupid. And so that's what we need. So if, if you're a Nielsen family out there, you have a thousand. We're coming for you. You might as well have TV on, otherwise you're being home invaded. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, a thousand bucks. <laughs> Cold hard cash to any Nielsen family who's listening who turns on the show and can demonstrate it. In the budget, with right? a, I'll pay it out of my pocket. Uh, framing the show is like a Sunday night family show. The kinds of things we used to watch. Yeah, like in the, I have a feeling. Has, once again, this is not any inside information. Yeah. You know that I'm getting from from NBC insiders. I have a feeling if there's a season two, we're going to be in some sort of you know Tuesday at eight or Sunday Family at eight or yeah. some sort of time slot where I mean I mean you know my daughter's history teacher talks about the show and he didn't know that. Somebody in his class was, you know, his father was associated with it. Yeah. You know, I'm hearing examples. We just found out this week that the Smithsonian is going to honor uh, the show, yeah. and we're going and we're going in March to do a presentation. Wow. They're going to have some historian, yeah. you know, be part of a panel with us. And, you know, we're going to show the Lincoln episode, episode two, because uh, there's a Lincoln exhibit going on right now in the Smithsonian. I don't know if in that one somebody uses a modern gun to put two bullets in the Sure, they did. Double head. tap. They double tap Lincoln. I'm sure the Smithsonian has seen the entire episode. That's historical record. Um, but, uh, you know, so, you know, there's a lot, you know, anecdotally, Sure. People in the periphery of my life, cousins I have in Rockford, <laughs> my doctor, parents, like, are all over the show in ways that for me they weren't for the Chicago Code or Last Resort or mm-hmm. Mad Dogs or those kinds of things. And and so I think if we're back, we're probably going to be back in a different kind of way. Right. Well, and it has that feel. Like, it's, it has that kind of fun adventure. It's, like, it's, want. I mean, listen, I don't want to say we're, we're Spielberg, but that was the sort of goal is, yeah. you know, when you think of Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. and Jurassic Park and all that sort of, you know, can you be fun and smart mm-hmm. and really character yeah. all at the same time and go on this joyride that doesn't feel mindless Right, that's what we're attempting to do, and and I think, you know, I think there's an appeal there, and especially as 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 times you know appear to be be becoming more chaotic here in the country, recently, this might be the kind of anecdote you know for that kind of thing. Yeah, look, it's as fun as Munich. Schindler's List. Not as fun as the Schindler's List. Um, We always say it's Schindler-tastic in the room, so that's true. Uh, What are you guys watching on television these days? Do you have time to watch other television? Um, Is there anything you're excited about? Yeah, yeah. I watch, uh, I mean, you know, Game of Thrones, which is the cliche. Um... Uh, I love Black Mirror. Um, I could I could cut up Black Mirror on a on a mirror and snort it. Um, I, you know, I think that San Junipero episode I would put up as among the best episodes of television ever produced. Period. Um, it's funny. The one my only the the answer I give more often than not to people when they say what show should I be watching that I'm not watching, my answer is usually Rick and Morty, mm-hmm. um, because not only is it like laugh out loud funny um, it's one of the smartest legit science fiction shows on <laughs> television true. today like I've never seen a 
show that is that funny that takes its science fiction as seriously as, as they take it with truly fascinating, yeah. you know, and, and subversive and innovative ideas. Um, so uh, that would be uh, that would probably yeah. be my list. Absolutely. I've sadly gone from a period where I was trying to educate my my kids, especially my oldest daughter, on on what to watch, to her now educating me because she's been hounding me for the last few weeks to watch Black Mirror, yeah. which I've not seen. And now you're saying, and 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 yeah, I, I need to watch that. I often it's hard for me to watch dramas without thinking about how I would do them differently. Yes. So so the dramas I tend to watch. Um, are dramas I would never make. Like, I watch okay. The Affair um, really regularly. Like, like I, I'll make sure I see that episode, like, within 24 hours of it, of it airing. Um, and I think there's a lot of quality to The Affair. I don't think it's the best show on TV, but, but for some reason I'm just sort of into that world, and I sort of watch it. Other than that, I tend to watch a lot of comedies. Yeah. You know, Veep and Silicon Valley and... You know, I'm watching repeats of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, I got my daughter to start watching Cheers, so I've been sort of oh, that's cool. re-watching, you know, early Sam and Diane uh, Cheers episodes. My son watches uh, Bob's Burgers, and I watch that. Um, and then the really awful, awful, horrendous, I can't even believe I'm going to admit this. My son and I, like, have a weekly... You know, date to watch Dance Moms <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> on Lifetime with you. all the That's drama of of, uh, of that and um, good for you. And Abby Lee's going to prison, and it's oh, very concerning God. that the show's going to end. <laughs> is all I'm saying. <laughs> so, yes. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I asked. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. Yeah, man. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com. What? <laughs>